Hello, I'm Johnny Cash. I hear the train a coming. It's rolling around a bend. And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. And time keeps dragging on. It's the Dinner at Johnny's podcast. Hello, everybody. Uh, our special guest today is Melissa Schoenfeld. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Melissa, welcome to the Dinner at Johnny's podcast, where we weren't able to cook today. We had you come in for a lunchtime, and we got we got some uh, sandwiches from Altieri's today. They were delicious. They were good, right? Yeah. So, so it's really tough, because since I started doing the podcast, I like to make dinner for people, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> And uh, I didn't get a chance to do it today, but I hope that was acceptable. It was, it was very good. Thank a, you. A little bit of water time. Okay. So, um, you know, Melissa, uh, Melissa, forgive me. Your name is very pretty different. Yeah. My, my mother wanted to call me Melissa. My father wanted to call me Lisa. So they compromised. But my nickname still is Lisa. Yeah. And you, uh, you made the news, uh, was it been seven years? Yeah. About seven years ago. Uh, Melissa is a retired social worker, maintained a successful private practice for 17 years before surrendering her license prior to incarceration. Um, you've been on the Dr. Oz show. Yes. Featured on Dateline. Yeah. What am I missing? Uh, 24 to Life. Yeah. Um, there was a little segment on Good Morning America. Yeah. Uh, none of these things of which I'm proud of, yeah. but um, it did happen. It did happen. Yeah. Um. You hired a hitman, attempted to anyway. Yes. And you were defending your family. Yes. And this is how this all got started. Exactly. So let's start from the beginning. Okay. Um, why'd you do it? Uh, my grandson's father would not leave my daughter alone. And uh, knowing what went on with the other uh, mother and her three children with the same man... Uh, the writing was on the wall. It was going to happen to my, my daughter and my grandson. Uh, they were looking at his Facebook page. And it indicated that he was bringing a woman up from another country, and she was going to raise all four of those children, especially the baby. Uh, with that, my now ex-husband came into my bedroom, and our bedroom at the time, and said, uh, who do you know? This can't go on like this. This has to end. And I took end to mean exactly what I wound up doing. Um, he wanted to know who I knew who could help the situation. I didn't think I knew anyone. Um, he thought that I worked with a bunch of people who were kind of crazy. I informed him I didn't work with crazy people. I thought he knew more, and he didn't. And then I thought I did know somebody. Yeah. And I called uh, this gentleman. I said, you said... Um, if ever I needed anything, you would help me yeah. based on the fact, the way I helped you. Uh, he told me he couldn't help me. Called me back about 10 minutes later and said, I'm working on it. Give me some time. About three weeks passed. I got a phone call thinking it was someone trying to make an appointment with me when in fact it was my so-called hitman. Yeah. I met him several hours later um, up at the mall. It never occurred to me that I didn't tell him what car I was driving. Mm. Uh, none of that, but he already knew. He knew. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was so um, hyped up, it never occurred to me to, 
you know, be logical and think think this through. Um, I did ask if he was a police officer. He went around the, the question, but um, I didn't think he was. My request was only to um, send the message not to hurt any more women or children. When he told me he didn't leave witnesses, I realized I was a witness. And if I'm going to die, I'm not dying in vain. And that's the real reason I went through with everything. Um, It got out of hand. I didn't know how to get out of it. And then I just went along with it. It was easier to do. Right. I mean... We all make choices in this world. Exactly. And this was a choice out of desperation. Yes. You must have felt like you were living in a dream at that point. It, it was surreal. It's, this can't be my life. And to watch what it was doing to my daughter and to think what it was doing to the sweet little boy, uh, the mediator in the um, custody said that if uh, my grandson's biological father made four visits over two years, he could have... Uh, him to himself for a week. And that was just not something that I could see happening. I know um, the things that took place with his other children, I couldn't imagine him doing that to this little boy and changing him for life. Yeah. So with that, um, it made it very easy to go in that direction. Yeah. Um, the courts clearly were not protecting my family. The police were not protecting my family. They had my daughter... Um, he wanted her to change her phone number, change her social media, um, change her email. And the onus of change was on her, never on him. Okay. And again, you get pushed into this corner where, look, we're, we're trying everything by the book, and the book's not helping us. Yeah. If the police would have knocked on the door just once to say what's going on here, yeah. this never would have happened. Okay. Yeah. So... Knowing what you know now, would you suggest someone do the same thing? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No. Um, I'm not sure what I would tell them to do, Yeah, but I had a lot of time to think this over. And How long were you incarcerated? 1,385 days. Uh, the sentence was five years. I got out after three years, nine months, and 14 days. Yeah. Um, where I was, I was in Taconic uh, Correctional Facility, and it's a minimum medium. There's only three women prisons in the state of New York. And uh, this one, you wind up with your own room. It really isn't a cell. It's, it, you don't have a cell door. You have an actual hard door. I want to talk to you. I want to I know all about what it was like behind bars because most people don't get that opportunity. So you're going to tell us this. But okay. I want to quickly go back. It happened quickly. So the time that you made that first phone call saying, I need someone to do me a favor... Right. To the time that you were at the mall, how much time had gone by? Uh, less than three weeks. Three weeks. Yeah. So that one phone call, it, obviously that was a, a road, now a direction that you started going down. Right. And one thing led to another. You told this undercover policeman what you wanted to do. And then did he ask for money in return? Well, at first, I explained why I wanted him to be hurt in a way that you're not going to hurt women or children anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked me what I wanted to pay. I don't know what the going rate is. So yeah. <laughs> what do you do? So I, I remember saying, um, and I said that to him. And he says, well, I'm doing, 
our mutual friend a favor. Oh, okay. So 10,000 bucks. He says, okay, but I'll need half up front and I need a thousand for travel expenses. I went, are you flying? He goes, no, I'm not flying. There's going to be no trail. Oh, okay. And then, um, I may, clearly my sarcasm and sense of humor were not appreciated at the time, but the comment that I made was, and this is what really sunk me, what are you going to do with the body? You're going to be in Florida, throw it to the gators. Mm. And the look he gave me was one of shock and, and, you know, why would you say that? And it was, well, you're going to be in Florida. I mean, what what do you do with these things in Florida? You throw them to the gators, right? Well, unfortunately, that's also the comment that went international. Yeah, I I read that one. Yeah, that was uh, quite quite humiliating. Yeah, and embarrassing. Sure. And um, don't worry about your phone. That's <laughs> all right. <laughs> As it's buzzing. That's all right. Um, but I uh, I had to come up with half the money to give him. Sure. And he gave me a certain uh, certain time period, and then I also. Um, he wanted the address on where he lived, and I gave him the address the courts had on him, and he no longer lived there either. Sure. And he, he this guy was wearing a wire, the officer. Uh, Yeah, even though I asked. Yeah. And he said, you know, no. Yeah, um, yeah he was wearing a wire because I, I have a copy of the, the disc that was made. Okay. So where was the arrest? Where did the arrest take place? Where all arrests seem to take place, the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Got you. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's an irony there. I looked around and thought, I should park where there's other cars because this way it's a busy area. Mm-hmm. No, I shouldn't have parked where there were other cars because then I would have seen the police cars. Right. I never saw anything. Right. And even when he left my car, as I was driving by, I saw the vehicle he was getting into. And for a nanosecond, I thought, I can't do this. I have to stop it. Yeah. And then I thought, I can't stop it. He knows who I am. Okay. So I kept going. So you kept going. Yeah. And then um, what were you arrested? Right, like the guy left and the, the, the regular officers arrested? I, I, don't, I don't know if he left or not. I'm sure he, he told, you know, signaled to somebody, okay, she's sure. leaving. It's done. And as I uh, was leaving the Walmart parking lot, I was going to visit my friends in... Um, we meet in Rochester and she was coming from Canada and I made a left onto Arsenal street and all these police lights went on and I thought, can't be me. I didn't run a light. Yeah. And slowly I was kind of like pushed to the side and I wound up in the Ramada parking lot where I um, rolled down my window and the female officer said to me, um, I would like you to get out of the car. And I said, what for? And I wasn't nervous. That's what was really bizarre. And, um, she said, we believe a crime was about to be committed. I went, okay. So I get out of the car. Um, she took my keys, my purse, um, the two telephones. I had a cell phone and a, a um, disposable phone, yeah. handcuffed, you know, and brought down to, mm-hmm. to the station. Uh, you are, um, you know, you're a professional person um, in education. Um do you, did you think maybe like, oh, I'm, I'm above this. This, isn't, this kind of stuff doesn't happen to me. I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. Boy, have things changed. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I did. I'm sure my then husband did as well. Yeah. That if um, the forces in place aren't going to take, aren't going to help us, then we're going to do this ourselves. 
Yeah. And didn't think twice. Yeah. Yeah. So now your reality is that uh, this bad guy who's in Florida is going to continue to walk free and you are going to be behind bars. Um, that's exactly what took place. Yeah. Yeah. And he went so far to say that's exactly what I deserved and that um, he felt bad for me because my grandson was going to lose his only grandmother. His parents um, stopped having anything to do with my grandson when they moved north. I want everybody to know that Melissa has a book and you wrote this and this uh, became available after you got out. Yes. Uh, and it, it just it just hit Amazon. It just hit Amazon, and just, and Kindle, just, and Barnes and & Noble. I think you would be, everyone would be very interested in this book. It's called Bitter or Better, and I want to talk about that, but you can okay. go to Amazon right now and find it. I want to promote this for you because well, I, I want people to go and get it because you were nice enough to come on this podcast with me. Thank you. Okay. So, at this point, do you feel any remorse? Oh, uh, when I say at this point, when you're arrested. Right, right. I understand. Remorse wasn't in it. It was unreal. Um, at the station, my husband, I was allowed my phone call. My husband came down and he could not believe I was arrested because who knew? Nobody knew. Yeah. Um, he left my daughter and my grandson at the diner they were eating in, uh, the Dexter Diner, and took off like, what happened? So my daughter thought somebody was sick or an emergency. She had no idea. She found out about my arrest on Facebook. Um, and we're talking and my husband tells me, you know, no one knows, you know, they, they can't. When uh, the detective came in, he told me, I don't need to concoct any stories because the detective who was acting as my hitman is sitting in the next room, writing up his report. So before my, my Miranda rights were read, I thought it was in my best interest to tell him everything. And I don't regret that to this day. Okay. His comment back was, um, well, I've got a daughter who was in a similar situation, but we didn't hire anybody to take out the, the father. Yeah. And I went, well, okay. I mean, what am I going to say? Uh, they brought me down to the courthouse and where I was arraigned, and um, I collapsed outside the courtroom when I heard that my bail was 250000 my bond was 500000 O.J. Simpson's had that kind of... of, yeah. of uh, fee on his head so uh they were kind they did let my husband come in and hug me which i guess is not something that's common before they actually brought me down where you're uh you go through the unbelievable strip search and um the lice shampoo and uh then you're brought into the pod yeah yeah so again at this point, are you, you're not, you're just like. Mm, I'm hysterical. Feel- oh, I was hysterical at this point. Yeah. Where the other, when I walked into the pod, these women surrounding, oh, we're not going to hurt you. It's okay. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh yeah, right. And you know, you, you, again, you have your own, in, in there it's a cell. You have your own cell in there. And I, I was a bit of a germaphobe. Actually, I was a lot of a germaphobe back then. And I remember looking at this mattress that's stained and filthy and thinking, I can't sleep on this. Yeah. And I'm waiting for the maintenance to come or the cleaning crew to come and clean the cell. Till I was informed, um, you are cleaning your own cell? It's like, I'm cleaning my own cell? And it's like, oh. And all of a sudden, like, I was the one who would always bleach um, the light switches. Yeah. 
well, I realized in that moment that if I don't get over this OCD thing, it's going to be more of a problem in my my next location. Oh, my God. So So it took a while. (laughs) I was there um, four days before my um, husband was able to come up with the uh, bond collateral. And um, so I was released at noon. And it was a holiday weekend, no less. It was a holiday weekend. Yeah, it was Halloween when I was arrested. Mm. And uh, so Monday at noon, he... uh, was able to come up with the the funds and i was released i you know um i i uh i don't know what it's like to be pushed to that where i would be able to uh hire a hitman i didn't think i would be either (laughs) yeah 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 um and then obviously there's a lesson in this huge lesson what's the lesson don't get mad. Don't get even. Write a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you did your time. I did. And you, you are, you know, you can find redemption. Um, I think I found redemption in funny ways. I made the mistake of reading some of the things that people uh, felt the need to write. Uh, unfortunately, and, and I'm sure most people know on social media, there are people who can't be positive. They can't be encouraging. They have to be negative. Mm-hmm. And I believed those negative things. So I thought I was a monster. Um, I, I could go through the whole list. It doesn't sure. really matter. Sure. But it's the women in Taconic that gave me back realizing that's not who I am. And Your um, cellmates in, in Taconic. Well, not cellmates. They were... Um, other women on other, the, on the other floor. Other women on the floor. I didn't. Okay. It, to kind of, you don't have uh, bunkies. You, you have your own. Okay. You have your own own room, which I spent a lot of time in. I did not like going out of my room. Okay. Um, and what I came to realize was I got lost along the way. Yeah. And in that time, I was able to go back to basics and realize who I wanted to be again. And I will always be grateful to those women. And they're from a part of society that I would have no reason otherwise to interact with. And they were very good to me. They, they picked me up when I was down. And I'd say, picked me up. Sometimes I really was on the sure. floor um, through a lot of the medical issues that I had in, in, um, while incarcerated. They were there to do my chores for me without looking for repayment of anything. It was just, you know... I would help them with their schoolwork. A lot of them did not have GEDs yet. Actually, they okay. didn't even have part of high school done yet. A lot of them were still, they dropped out in junior high school. Um, I was able to help the Spanish women learn enough English to do the English part of the GED. Mm-hmm. Um, in spite of the fact that I flunked algebra three times while I was in school, yeah. the Algebra for Dummies book, very good book. Okay. I only had to stay one chapter ahead of them. And guess what? I learned algebra. In, yeah. in, in prison. So I was able to teach it to them. Um, I taught knitting. And all of this, I didn't look for repayment. If you were, you know, just a decent person, it's like, no, we share this. The women who were um, unkind or um, always looking for their next quick fix, um, I charged. And what okay. I charged would be cigarettes. I did run somewhat of a bodega while I was in. Okay. And the idea was I always had what I needed. And um, the exchange rate was always cigarettes. Yeah. 
and you know that's you're not a smoker nope okay and you didn't the, pick up that no nope, no nope. okay. and the COs knew that so when my room was inspected they so, look and say why do you have cigarettes I, I want to talk more about your time because this this is fascinating in your book better or better obviously talk about a lot of that yes okay and before I get there I want to ask you if things had ended up differently and someone lost their life because no one has lost no one lost their lives right with this whole thing if you hadn't have been <sighs> if it hadn't have been a police officer yeah. in the car one i am grateful it was a police officer in the car because had somebody gotten hurt i'm fairly certain i wouldn't be here today and i don't mean i'd be incarcerated i really think i would have killed myself knowing that i had a hand in someone else's life and that's something I didn't think about at the time because all I saw was my child in pain and knowing what would happen to the sweet little boy if the other side got hold of sure. him. Um, so I'm grateful. I think all of us are guilty of maybe uh, we've all made bad choices. Maybe not oh, yeah. it'll get you landed in jail, but we've all made uh-huh. bad choices and we've all thought we were oh, well, this is fine. I'm do, I'm fine with what I'm doing here. And the next thing you know, uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. And yeah. so this is on a grander scale. Much grander. <laughs> much grander scale. It's the kind of scale that gets you put away for five years. I would have been longer than that if the DA would have had their way. Yeah. I'm grateful for the judge that I had because he went to the bare minimum uh, since the DA would not lower the charge. Um well, it was lowered once, but the uh, DA wouldn't go any lower. Um, the judge overrode it and said five flat. Mm. So if I would have gotten more than that, I remember thinking I was going to take the ankle cuff that I they put on me like I was a wild animal. Um, I was going to wiggle it off and put it around the dog's neck, and I was going to Costa Rica because I knew I'd come out of prison only in a body bag. You're going to give me 15 to 25? Yeah. Yeah, and nobody got hurt. Yeah. Yeah, right. Nobody got hurt. Right. Um, and like you said, if if it had been a different scenario, yeah. now looking at it, yeah. because you've had to come to grips with a lot of this. Is that yes. is that what prison's for? Are you supposed to think about what you did? I thought the punishment was being removed from society. That's not the punishment. The punishment, um, well, what's the phrase? There's a mission statement. It's uh, custody, care, and control. I adapted that. It's um, you're in their custody, they don't care, and you have no control. And that's the bottom line of what prison is. You have some really wonderful COs. You have some really bad COs who are there to make your life just miserable. Um, The ones who were good were very good. And they also helped me reinforce the good in me. And um, they did it in funny ways. They were ways that you wouldn't see it coming. And I guess there's a little bit of intelligence that has to go along with it to realize their intention and what they're doing. So you are, again... Um, in our community at a certain a, a level of esteem. <laughs> All right. I don't know the best way to put it. <laughs> and now you're on a prison bus headed downstate. Yes. What's going through your mind? Are you thinking I've got to survive? I might have to fight. I might have what? What were you thinking? Well, this is really it, it's funny because I hadn't even thought about those things yet. Uh, I had gone from the Watertown detention facility to um, Albion for one night. And um, there was no air conditioning. 
I'm thinking, oh, this is because it's not the permanent place. That's why. Because the Watertown Detention Facility does have air conditioning. So it's uh, it's got to be close to 90 outside, which means it's even warmer inside. So I'm not sleeping that first night. Um, we get put on, we get shackled to one other person, and then we're put on the bus. And the person next to me, I don't even remember what her name is, but she... She starts, you're given six little cups of juice, like this is your your uh, lunch, and uh, mystery meat, mystery cheese, and four pieces of white bread. And this is what you have to eat. But mind you, your hands are not just shackled uh, or uh, handcuffed. There's a black box that goes around your wrists so that your hands really can't move apart. And your waist shackled. So how are you getting to your mouth? And this woman next to me, she's got the window. So it's my right leg and her left leg are are shackled together. She drinks all six of her cups of juice before we even leave. And I look at her and I said, I'm only getting up once to go to the bathroom with you. So you better make it a good one. And of course, we were the first ones to go to the bathroom. And um, she proceeded to drink my six cups because I wasn't drinking. I was not using the bus bathroom. Yeah. (laughs) When um, there's a... a, uh, rest stop that we go to and they exchange drivers and uh, COs and they um, there was a family uh, a woman a mother and her children and you could see that her son read the side of the bus that said you know we were New York State docs and that um, he wanted to know what that meant so I watch her put her arms around both her children and pull them away from this bus, like we're going to jump off the bus and hurt her kids. The funny part about this is I did the same thing when my kids were little at the really? same bus stop. Really? So that came full circle for me. Wow. Um, we had to wear our winter coats on the bus, which was a good thing. The bus was air conditioned, which was a, a tease because nothing else was. Uh, and we didn't get there till almost 10 o'clock at night. And when I say get there, it's reception, which is Bedford Hills. And that's the Max Women's Facility. I don't know why they call it reception, because the only receptions I had gone to prior to this involved usually wine and some kind of hors d'oeuvres. Uh-huh. This wasn't the case. Yeah. There was uh, nothing involved except COs yelling at you. Um, a little bag with um, a nightgown, some uh, of the state soap, uh, some shampoo, deodorant, um, I don't even remember what else was in there, but it it was it was not good. It it was like a movie at this point. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, this can't be my life. It can't be your life. And I did something that to this day has not been discussed. Um, I wrote a letter to my judge saying, "I'm sorry, I learned my lesson. Can I please come home?" Really? Yeah. <laughs> I never got yeah. a response. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, but I really wow. felt that way. I, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, I was in Bedford Hills for almost nine weeks before I was moved literally across the street to Taconic. Okay. And um, things were looking better. So I don't understand. What, why were you moved across? What, what, Bedford Hills is maximum security. Okay. And that's where you have um, the lifers okay. and people who commit pretty heinous crimes. Uh, you're there till they figure out what to do with you. Because of all my medical, they were sure I was going to go to Albion, which uh, is the minimum. It, no, that's the medium max. And it also would have been more convenient for my family. I believe um, 
it was a punishment and a test in uh, wills of power why they kept me at Taconic because it was a har- further hardship for my family. Yeah. My family tried to get me the things I needed medically and they didn't go about it in a conventional way. And I do believe I was the one who uh, suffered the punishment for that one. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. So you you arrive, they give you your bag with your shampoo. Um, and do they give you the rules? You're given, a rule, you're given a rule book and yeah. you have to keep the rule book the whole time you're there. If you don't return the rule book in decent shape or not at all, you're actually charged a fee. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I really did read the rule book. I felt that I, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. The first time in county when they yelled count, I'm wondering, what are they counting? I had no idea they were counting us and you have to stand at the door. So the other women said to me, get up, you got to stand at the door. I went, why? They know I'm in here. They locked the door. It's like, no, no, you have to get up for count. The sad part about count is uh, when uh, my grandson would visit, there was always a, a count done while we were there. And I would stand up and he would go to stand up. I went, no, 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 they're not counting you. They're counting Aww. me. So when he would go home, he would line his stuffed animals up yeah. and he would yell count. Yeah. And then he'd count each animal. That's how conditioned he was to prison. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you're this grandmother. Yes. That's how you're described anyway. No, I'm not just just a grandmother. I'm the OG. I'm an outstanding grandmother. OG, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you picked up some prison lingo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, so it's your first day, your first night. They close the door on your cell. Yes. Um, What's going through your mind? What are you thinking? Well, um, terror, actually. Yeah. Um, What do you hear? Anything? Actually, it's noisy or not? It's it's fairly quiet. What you hear is people snoring. I wound up being one of them at some point. Okay. Um, Sometimes you'll hear somebody cry. A lot of coughing, a lot of sneezing. You'll hear a CO yell, who's ever smoking better put that out before I start writing tickets. Um, And you might hear a CO, you know, talking or laughing to somebody else. But nights per se are pretty quiet. Um, You don't mess with that because uh, if a CO's got to unlock your door at night, it's not going to end well for you. Yeah, you'll wind up with a ticket or a lock time or have some kind of privilege taken. And someone told you this, like at lunch or something? Oh, no, I've actually seen it happen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's your first night, it's your first day when you go out and you're mingling with the community. I didn't mingle. Okay. I stayed in my room. Okay. When they would call for meals, I I would go. Um, Did you show fear? Did you show that you were no. scared? Did you no. or did you put up a defense? I put up a defense. I was very quiet though, and prison life—I I don't know. I still don't know when I was there how we get all the information we do. But when I came up, some of the um, older women—when I say older, they're, they're over forty—said we were hoping it was you who was coming up here. It's like, how do you even know I'm here? Yeah. And uh, because we would do some of our our medical visits would be over at Bedford. So you would, you would talk to people through the, the uh, glass, anybody at medical. And it's funny because you really do know people from, you know, when you f- were first there. And they said, we were hoping it was you. You're not loud and noisy. How do you know I'm not loud and noisy? Who, who do I know here? Yeah. So um, I guess that was the welcoming committee. Yeah. 
Uh, my first night, this woman kept coming by my door asking me if I needed anything, not realizing she was sizing up what I might have in my room that she could actually use. Right. So you wise up to some of these things, and you make sure you put things away. Um, you have a locker with a lock, and you put it in there not just because of COs want your room looking a certain way, but you don't want the other women seeing what you have or don't have. You don't want to show them that you're vulnerable. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, you also, as you develop um, relationships in there, you realize that people are going to look out for your stuff. Uh, even though you're not allowed in anyone else's room, people do go in and steal things. Mm-hmm. So you have other people around you looking and watching, and that's a good thing. So did you have like your own uh, gang? Like, did you I have the old? Did you have the OG gang? I was the the oldest person <laughs> there for a while. Um, and prison is not made for women over fifty. I got to tell you. Okay. And um, I had people kept calling this one woman my prison daughter. I said she's not my prison daughter. We are friends. Yeah. And she would buy into the same thing. Uh, and they were a diverse group of women. Everyone from um, educated to someone who was there twenty years and has yet to pass her GED. So that wasn't the criteria. It, do you size each factor. Do you size each other up like you, you know, were in there because you, you know, were hiring someone to, you know, to take out a bad guy as you as you allege. Um did you did you like oh what what's he in what's she in for? Well, what's, it's it's funny. We all wear the same shade of green. So like if your crime is is not as serious, the shade of green is lighter. Okay. And one of the, the phrases you learn is, I'm wearing the same shade of green you are, so don't tell me what to do. And I didn't understand that until it was a holiday, and somebody was giving me a really hard time, and she's trying to tell me what to do. And that's exactly what I said to her. I went, oh, no, I've actually picked up a prison phrase. But she backed off. Yeah. Sometimes you have to prove that, no, I'm not going to take this. And don't mistake my kindness for anything other than kindness. It's not weakness. It's not anything else except this is who I am. Was there violence that take place in this prison? Uh, women violence is very different than men, typically. I think male prisons are much more dangerous. The fights end a lot worse. Um, nobody died from a fight in Taconic when I was there. You have a lot of cat fights. Um, you have a lot of inappropriate behavior. Um, a lot of the things that caused women to get locked down was having uh, relationships with other women and getting caught. Um, Influx of drugs, which is really interesting how they they still get drugs through. Um, There was an incident where several, um, several, I think it was six or seven uh, between officers and I think it was someone in the the secretarial pool were actually walked off of the compound for drugs, alcohol, or fraternization. So that's more the kind of thing that took place okay. there. Um, and if a, if a CO or, or a sergeant had it in for you, they were going to find a way to make sure you did something you weren't supposed to. And They'd get, push and push and push. And get you in trouble. And mm-hmm. Yeah. So your book, uh, Bitter or Better, again, it's uh, just newly available this week yes. on Amazon. Yes. Uh, inmate formerly known as, do you remember your number? 15G0717. Yeah, that's yeah. what it says right here. Yes. The book. Should I read what it says on the back? Sure. Okay, I'll read. 
How many times have we been in a situation that pushes us to our limit and we feel we have no way out? From Elisa Schoenfeld, her breaking point came when the justice system failed her and she decided to take matters into her own hands by hiring a hitman to kill the father of her grandson. Melissa's family was the last place you would expect to find a murder-for-hire plot. These were esteemed members of the community, but having done the wrong thing for the right reason, Melissa had to make choices as she was going through the legal system and divorce. This intense story shows how she chose to find herself better and not bitter in the midst of chaos and adversity. This is the book. Yes. Um... You did divorce, and this was happened while you were in jail? I was in six months when he came and told me he was divorcing me. It had nothing to do with the crime, ironically. Um, it had to do with him wanting to date other women. Um, and uh, we were divorced 15 months later. Yeah. It was difficult. It left me very vulnerable. Uh, taking my wedding band off was a very hard thing for me to do. Fortunately, the women who um, we formed alliances with, they protected me from any kind of uh, of vulnerability on my part. Okay. So that, that helped a lot. Um, the other thing I, I wanted to say, and, and I, I don't, I, I'm sure it's in there. Uh, there is another baby mama involved with the same uh, father as my grandson. Okay. Her husband um, had had it with this man as well. Prior to what I did, he actually went after him with a gun. The gun went off. This uh, The father was actually uh, grazed in the head with, um, with the bullet. And um, the other baby mama's father, uh, husband, he got five years probation. It happened in Florida. He held a weapon. The guy was hurt. He didn't go to prison. I didn't hold a weapon. Nobody got hurt. Mm. I still went to prison. Mm-hmm. So it's a matter of where these things happen, and that's what's most unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I didn't go to... Is, tr- are you still... Is there still... Is there communication with... Yes. The, yes. the, the chi- Your grandchild's father? No. Yeah. No, that's been severed. Okay. Um, he, he had a court order uh, to... What do you have to do? Four visits in two years, and that court order was up in 2016. He's made no attempt further. Okay. Yeah. Now, your daughter and you, um, what's your relationship like now? We, My grandson calls us two hens. Um, okay. I bought a house where she was living, so I know I, I moved out of this area, and um, we all live together. Okay. We're three generations under Catching one Catching up, roof. though, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Missing five years, uh, obviously you're going to take certain things uh, that you may have taken for granted before, not so much. Well, and and it's funny because from a child's perspective, it's something so simple. When I got, uh, when I was released, they would not let my family come up to the gate. They made them wait at the bottom of the hill. And I had bags of books and um, I didn't bring any clothing out with me, but it was books that I brought and uh, papers and... I had to carry them. And I was also using a cane at the time. So imagine a cane and carrying. There were four other women released with me at the same time. So we kind of helped each other. And when I got to the bottom of the hill, here was my grandson holding a dozen red roses and balloons. 
and my brother is playing the song We Are Family, which... Yeah. And uh, a friend had also come, and obviously my daughter was there, and I bent down to hug my grandson, and he's trembling. So I, I looked back, what's the matter? And he starts crying, and he says... So I start crying, and he says, Grandma, never leave me again, and I promised him I wouldn't. So when I, I bought this house, we made arrangements that he would be spend Tuesday nights with me. So it was Tuesday nights with Granny, and then I'd bring him to the diner Wednesday morning where we'd see his mother, and then we'd, I'd bring him to school. And Tuesday nights turned into Wednesday night and Thursday night, and then weekends. And then she'd bring the dogs over, and the dogs staked out where they were staying in the house, and I finally looked at her and said, you know, you're renting your house. Just just move. There's room here. So slowly they, they moved in. They moved in. And, um, you know, it just, it was natural the way the sure. whole thing happened. Well, that's good. I think yeah. that's great that you guys get to be together. Yes. Um, so uh, were you a bit of a celebrity in jail? I mean, Dr. Oz came to visit you. Well, Dr. Oz was funny. I, um... I didn't tell anybody. Well, I shouldn't say that. I told one person who I knew could actually keep a secret. And the morning that I knew I was doing this interview, I, I had to go to work. I got dressed. I, um, you know, I did my hair, which normally your hair's up. I, I, I didn't put on some makeup. And I knew I'd be called down to the lobby somewhere between 9 and 9.30. And sure enough, they call it, you know, Schoenfield Lobby. It's like, mm, okay. No affect at all. I just kind of went down to the lobby, and here was Dr. Oz with two of his crew members. Um, the woman who did my forward was one of them that was also there, Elizabeth Shepard, and the superintendent of the prison and the depth of programs, and there was a CO there. And the visiting room was freezing. It was, um, the air conditioning was still on, and this is, I think the interview was done the beginning of November. Mm. And Great. I had no idea what he was going to ask me. He was great. And no one knew it was me being interviewed until afterwards. Now, normally, Countess called at 11 in the morning. And if you were not up there, wherever you are, you have to stay to be counted in the location you're at. Well, it was funny because they let me walk up to my housing unit. I go up there, and there's two COs, and they're all excited. I went, why didn't you tell us it was you? I went, me what? And they went, you were there. Dr. Oz was here for you. And I went... Not a big deal. And I couldn't make a big deal about it. Yeah. Because then I knew what was going to happen next. What would happen? Well, you want to be a celebrity? We'll show you the kind of celebrity you are. Okay. So you play, downplay it. So this one officer who was not particularly nice, he would take your food when it would come in from home. And he'd cut open like your bag of granola. He'd eat it in front of you. He'd say, you know, I don't know if you really want this. And it's like, why are you eating my food? Um. He was very, very obnoxious. He looked at me and said, can I have your autograph? And I looked at him and I said, oh, it's Thursday at 2. Autographs ended at noon. <laughs> so later that day when I wanted my food, he wouldn't give me my pizza sauce. And I said, I'll tell you what, you want that autograph? Give me my pizza sauce because it's not happening. I said, well, neither is your autograph. I walked away. The next package room officer came in and just said, don't even pay attention to him. She gave me my pizza sauce. Huh. So it just depends on, you have to know your audience. You really do. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, not really a friendly place, is it? No. Um, it's not a place I would recommend for anyone to go. And ironically, I do believe that um, the entire legal field should have to go in there anonymously. 
where no one knows who they are, and not spend a week. You need to spend two to four weeks there because a week doesn't do anything. You're not frustrated. You're just scared the first week. Yeah. And they need to go in to really see what happens because it's not to be believed. And too often I would hear women say, this can't be real. And my line back would always be, well, pinch yourself because it's, it's real. Yeah. Um, nothing makes sense. The only consistent thing is the inconsistencies. And these change by the day. Um, at one point they instituted a, a ridiculous rule that if you had any kind of medical devices, you needed to show the officer every day at four o'clock. So if you had some, like if you, if I was wearing a knee brace, I'd have to take it off and show it to them. They wanted uh, to see your glasses, your uh, whatever braces you had, whether it be hand, neck, knee, ankle. They never wanted to look at my cane. And I'm thinking, if the cane is the weapon, it's not like you can cart something contraband and these other other things. Right. The cane is the weapon. Right. And they didn't care about the they cane. They didn't care about the cane. No, it, it makes no sense what they do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I want people to uh, go check out your book over at Amazon, Better or Better. You did your time. You did, fi- did. You know, you were sentenced to five. You got out a little early. Yes. Is that something you knew was going to happen? Uh, they told me I would definitely get six, uh, what is it? It would have been almost eight months off my sentence because of the ratio for every seven days. Is it seven days? You get something off. I, I'm not even sure. But if you work... So you either have to take uh, 24 college credits or work for two years. Okay. You'll get another six months. And you did work? I was a teaching assistant, and it was kind of a joke. And you get paid? 27 cents an hour. Yes. I'm grateful for the money that my family sent in and friends because I couldn't have done it without them. Uh, You can't afford a bar of soap at the commissary for that kind of money. Right. And even though the prison does give you soap, it's Corecraft soap, which also takes out uh, stains in your clothing, um, animal residue off of carpets. Yeah. Well, and you can only imagine know. what it does to your skin. Okay. Good yes, to know. Yes. So yeah. you had some time to think. Lots of time to think. What little nuggets of wisdom would you like to pass along? Before you become desperate. You need to talk to some other people because there's always a solution you did not think of. And the only thing that could come to mind for me that was an alternative plan was I had friends in Canada. I could have sent my daughter and my grandson up there. Granted, they wouldn't have been able to come back into the country, but they would have been safe and I could have seen them. Do you think that when you're in this, in the middle of some kind of um, traumatic situation, that you become, like, you don't think straight? I was hyped. You don't. And and do you want, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of mass shootings and things like that in the news right now. And I don't know if people think before they go and they shoot up a school full of elementary school kids. Well, I think some, in some cases it is premeditated. I think um, COVID caused a lot of isolation for people, unlike being in prison. And you either think of getting even with somebody or you think of a way to do it in a, a more uh, positive format. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I remember um, thinking of things I could have done differently. And, um, you know, when you say we all make choices, there are some things I've done that, that I hate to use the word regret, but I do. I can't change it, but I can make sure I don't make that mistake again. Yeah. 
Um, the point of keeping a daily journal for me was so I would never forget. And the other thing I did, I started making uh, children's books. And my grandson does not want to share them yet, so I won't get them published yet. Okay. My daughter realized in time, they weren't children's stories. I was telling her the story of what was going on in prison. Yeah. But I made it childlike because anything that's not um, able to fit into a regular envelope, a CO has to look at and sign. So I wasn't going to give them anything that I made sure I put it into this format. Because they could use it against you? Well, definitely. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't leave the prison either. Right. So I, my primitive drawing, I wouldn't call myself an artist, but you know, I can kind of hold my own sometimes. Um, I told it all through the story of Elroy the Dinosaur. And it was an E for my grandson's name. And when they would come visit, um, they would yell smoke break. And smoke break meant you could go outside and play in the yard or smoke. So this poor kid thought playing in the yard, the, the key word was smoke break. He didn't understand why they didn't say that in school. And um, I would look at tracks and I'd tell him, oh, look, I think Elroy was here. And having sailed a little bit, I know about wind. So I would watch the wind with the trees. I went, look, Elroy's walking. He was an invisible dinosaur. He's walking. Can you see how the trees go? Yeah. So it was our thing mm. that no one else could take away because I felt that other people were taking my time away with my grandson. He was. I went in yeah. on his third birthday. Yeah. And I did that so that something good happened that day, sure. his birthday. Um. Do you think you're the worst criminal of all times? I think I'm the stupidest criminal of all times. <laughs> they, they ought to do a show instead of Keystone Cops. It should be Keystone Criminal. Yeah. I mean, you you can't make up how, how ridiculous I was. Yeah. I did not think this through at all. Yeah. Now, combine the stress of not sleeping, because I was so worried about my daughter and my grandson, that um, I was afraid to go to sleep at night. I didn't like the nightmares, so you stay awake. You're not doing anybody a favor. My own trauma of uh, when I was a teen and things that had happened to me, like this is what's going on here. So it becomes something that maybe it isn't. I mean, it was still bad, but I made it tenfold by everything that was going on in my head. Yeah. Uh, stressful marriage, what was going on there. Uh, my son, who kind of alienated himself, that he goes, look, I don't want to be a part of this. So he took a step back, which hurt a lot. Um, my dad, who I didn't want to hurt, but my father was privy to everything that was going on. Um, and what was funny there, my dad has since passed, but my father offered to do this for me. I said, Dad, you're not going to go to prison if you get caught. He goes, you're not going to put an 83-year-old man in prison. And at first I thought he was right. And then I've come to realize, oh, no, they'll put you in at any yeah. age. They don't care. Yeah. They don't care. They, they want that body in there. They're going to do that. Sure. Okay. Yeah. What would you uh, what would you like to say to your community? My community, one, I want to thank you for welcoming me back. Um, that was huge. Um, I didn't know how I would be received. Having said that, I had so much positivity in the mail when I was in prison from some people I didn't even know. I felt truly blessed. If I didn't get mail every day, everyone wondered what happened to the mail system because I did get that kind of mail. Um, I lost three people in the process of going through this whole thing. Um, two, I think I would have lost anyway regardless. And one, I lost because they were misinformed, but that happens. Uh, people couldn't have been more supportive, and I'm grateful. Where I live now, I was afraid to tell people. 
and I am more isolated than this area here, which is really kind of funny. My block has state troopers, firemen, and EMTs on it. I didn't know they all knew. And it's like, hey, she did her time. She's fine. That's right. And I think I don't like this dating thing is ridiculous, by the way. Online dating and dating in prison, it's the same thing. And I, um, I don't tell them when I first go out with them. I wait to see if there's going to be a second date, and then I'll tell you. But I feel if you meet me first, they either think it's, oh, you were in for DWI, and the irony is I really don't drink, or uh, a money crime. I went, mm, no, you're not even close. And when I tell them, at first they're kind of standoffish, and they go, you know, I might have done the same thing. Which, it's validating, but I really don't want to hear you would do the same thing. It's yeah. okay, you don't need to go down that road. Sure. Um, but I really haven't lost anybody because of it. Um, my next door neighbor found out when he was selling, he uh, put his house up for sale and wanted to know what I paid for my house. So they went on Zillow, saw my full name. And for whatever reason, they wound up Googling that to see if I, you know, where else I might have lived. And up comes all this stuff. And he was doing me a favor after a, a storm and he was cutting up lo- uh, the uh, branches for me into logs. And I don't even know how it came up, but he said, Oh, yeah, I've known that for a while. I went, and it didn't bother you? He says, don't worry, my sister got pregnant and she's in prison. And I went, oh, okay, it's no big deal. It's like, all right, then why am I making a big deal about it? So I look at it as... Um, I want to ask you too, I'm going to cut you right off. You're doing good, you learned. Yes. The book. Yes. All right, it's called Bitter or Better. Yes. The title? The title was a choice I had to make. It would be very easy to stay bitter. I went in bitter. I actually went in playing cold, self-righteous mama. And I didn't want my family to think that they had to worry about me. And I didn't let them see me cry. And I was very bitter. And probably a year after my husband came to tell me he was divorcing me, I was informed. I wasn't, you know, asked. I was informed. Um... One day I didn't cry, and I realized, I didn't cry today. I'm okay. And I started getting me back. We're like, I'm okay. I can open my mouth when I need to. I can come out of my room and not worry about anything. And um, I isolated is really what I did. And I started to realize, I'm getting better, and it's a choice. I don't want to be better. I don't want to be angry at anybody. I don't want to hold a grudge. I just want to be content with my life and go forward. And i that's who I want to be. Now, believe me, there are days I'm not so content or, yeah, but that's that's yeah. normal. But um, I like who I am and I don't have to cry. You know, mm-hmm. the stress or not feeling enough for anything else. And believe it or not, in some warped way, and this is very warped thinking, I thought that if I protected my daughter and my grandson, that I would be looked at as enough because look, she protected them. And that's really warped, bitter thinking. Yeah. Uh, Sleep deprivation, all of that. And um, I know this sounds bizarre to anyone who has not been in this situation. Prison sometimes is a gift if you take it that way. Uh, It wasn't all bad. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody but I was able to get the parts of me back that I lost along the way. And for that, I'm grateful. Yeah. 
wonderful interview today. Thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me and feeding me. <laughs> and, you know, I think the longer I live, the more I realize that there's always these sort of resets in life. Yeah. So now, here you go. On with your next chapter. What's next for you? Uh, well, I've been off of parole. Actually, I was informed I was off of parole for two months, and no one told me I was off. So, That's good, <laughs> I nice? guess. No, it took the, the, the air out of that that moment to, to celebrate. It's like, what do you mean you forgot to tell me? Was, I didn't open my email. I didn't know. Yeah. Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> what's next for me? Well, um, we're doing a lot of little projects around the house. Okay. Um, now that COVID has normalized, so to say, uh, we have a lot of little trips planned throughout okay. the summer. Are you going to ever consider getting back into the social work? I think I I have a social work personality. I don't think okay. it'll ever go out the window. Okay. I will not get my license back, though, by choice. I refuse to do the continuing education that New York requires me to do for all the time I wasn't practicing. Okay. So they can keep my license. But there's a lot of other things I can do just using experience and degree. Um it sounds like you helped a lot of people while you were in prison. My daughter reminded me of that. I didn't see it. And she said, you don't see it because that's who you are. And that was quite a compliment. And I hope I can continue to live up to that. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot easier to be kind and to be generous and expect nothing in return than to, uh, than to have that attitude that none of us really like or appreciate. So, yeah. Yeah. So this book... It's available on Amazon, Bitter and, or Better. Yes. And it's also Kindle and Barnes & Noble. Kindle and Barnes & Noble as well. Yes. So get your copy. It helps you a little bit too. Yes, it does. It does. Which is good. Uh, what's one thing in this book, okay, um, that you're proud of? Is there one? Is there a chapter? Is there a sentence? Is there a... Um, what am I proud of? I'm really proud that I, I came out and was uh, greeted the way I was. Again, to be, to not be forgotten, to be forgotten, to be forgotten is like being dead. And, and I wasn't forgotten. I'm proud of the fact that all these friends and family members visited. They couldn't do enough for me. Um, Sometimes we had to turn visitors away because unless you made plans ahead of time, you were only allowed four people to visit you at one time. So if they were to leave and then other people come in, that's okay. But you all couldn't be together unless you planned ahead, uh, which is very hard to do. So I, I am grateful for all the people who were willing to travel. And it's expensive. Um, yeah. You know, you've got vending machines where if you don't have a financial resource, I don't know how you take care of an inmate. You're, you're looking at, at a little fruit dish that, that's $5. And, you know, a lot of the time you even got rotten fruit in it. Wait a minute. So, you, in other words, is, it, is this an additional fruit dish? If or you, you have to pay for your own meals? No. In prison, you don't pay for your own meals. Okay. If you go on a visit, you have vending machines. They don't bring food down to you from the prison. So you actually 
who comes to visit you has to have money. I see what you're saying. And then they have to go to the vending machines and buy, you know, whether it be uh, water, I see. something to drink. There's ice cream, which is a big They're responsible treat. for their own refreshment at that point. And ours. It's like, okay. I don't care if you eat. I, I, I need real food here. Right. So the vending machine, I mean, who thought vending machine food was exciting? Yeah. But we would look forward to that. Ice cream, which is a rare treat in prison. It's like, oh, yes, we're having ice cream. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yes. Um, there's so much. I know there's so much that we don't even know. Well, even medical. Um, medical was a big issue. Um, you can't refuse a medical trip because you don't know about it till the night uh, till the morning of. You have to give 24 hours notice. So how does that make sense in anyone's realm? There is no HIPAA in, in uh, while incarcerated, even though they say there is. You're all on a line. You know what meds you take. Uh, you better check your meds before you ingest them because they tend to pop from these little uh, tiny paper cups. And sometimes they pop over. I don't want anyone else's hormone meds or right. um, HIV or hep meds. No, no, no. That's sure. Yeah. Um, and you're not getting prime care unless you really push for it. I had to wait uh, two years to get my nose fixed from an assault. And I was assaulted uh, nine weeks when I really? was Really? We didn't talk about that. Yeah, I lost three teeth, had my nose broken, and um, I don't know if it was a concussion, but I had a big egg-shaped contusion on my forehead. Is that something you're always in fear of when you're behind bars? Um, I can't answer that. I know for me, I would no longer sit unless I knew who was behind me, or I would have my back to the wall. And I, it doesn't face me anymore. It took a while for me to get over that, though. Um, I was ambushed when um, a family member in a family member threatened the superintendent of Bedford Hills and I believe the commissioner of docs that if I didn't get my medication, um, they were going to the media. I got my meds that day. A few days later, the dorm was raided under the premise of looking for drugs. Now, some drugs are allowed to hand carry. They never checked my drugs. They trashed my bunk, though. They... Uh, manipulated my mattress so much that it split same thing with my pillows i didn't use sugar and sugar was all over my photos photos are sacred in prison um and then uh i think it was nine days after that seven or nine days after i uh, learned that if you go on the kosher menu which is a little bit of manipulating here you get real food otherwise the food's soy based so for breakfast i could actually get oatmeal and packets lunch I could get real food dinner was still a tv dinner but it was still better than the prison food and um I brought my food back one day lunchtime no one else can eat and bring food back that way and I thought it was my bunkie I was in the bottom bunk she was on the top I thought she was coming back and it wasn't her it was someone else in a green uniform and I had my head bashed into the at the time it was still metal the upper bunk the ladder and then the upper bunk again if I didn't report it, I could get uh, locked up or a ticket. So I had to go down to medical to tell them um, I bumped my head on the, the bed and the ladder. So what do you think, what what spurred this attack? It was an attack. It was, reta- not- it was retaliation for demanding my medication. A year and a half later, I... Uh, so retaliation... Is subtle. From the correctional facility staff... Yes, but yet somebody came by in a prison outfit and did this to you. Well, I thought it was an inmate. And a year and a half had gone by, and my brother had come back into my life, and I told him what happened. 
And he called the state police, who called the watch commander at Taconic, who called the sergeant. And on a Saturday night, I was called down to medical. I was strip searched to see if I had any bruises on my body from fighting. I went, I don't fight. What are you talking about? I had this tiny little black and blue on my shoulder, and, and they made note of it. I went, I don't even know how I did it. I'm on blood thinners. What do I know? And I uh, asked the sergeant if I could speak to her privately, and she told me my, my brother. No, she wasn't sure who phoned. We figured out it was my brother. The following Monday, which was two days later, the state police came with somebody from um, New York State Docs, uh, some kind of um, uh, investigator, and the woman detective from the New York State Police said, we can find out who did this. I went, how? She says, well, there's no door, uh, no cameras in the dorm. There are cameras on the outside. I can find out who did this if you want to know. And I said, but you are always exchanging officers between Bedford and Taconic, and the inmates are always going back and forth. I don't want to get this. I don't want to do this again. She says, okay. So that's when I said to her, don't get mad, don't get even, write a book. She says, you're writing? I said, journal every day, and I send it home because I was afraid somebody would take it and it would come up missing. And you don't remember everything. I still would read parts of my journal and think, I don't even remember writing this. So it was a blessing that I did that as it happened. But um, they fixed my nose once with a surgeon that never should have done it. It so looks she, marvelous. Why, well, thank you. Yes. This is the third time it was fixed. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I had a... They insisted that the lump on my tongue was smoker's cancer, and I haven't smoked a day in my life. They took off part of my tongue. Um, I had fallen, and I actually broke my thumb. It took them, um, how long was that? It was right after I did the Dr. Oz interview, they fixed it. So it took them almost three years to fix my hand. Yeah. Wow. So they will give you medical, but unless you fight for it, not happening. I had one physician tell me um, I was dealing with um, my knee from falling into the van. And he said, um, I don't know what to tell you. Go pray to God. I go, what am I supposed to pray to God for? He goes, maybe God knows what to do with your pain. So I dropped a medical slip to come back in two weeks later. He goes, why are you here? I said, well, I talked to God and God said to come back here to medical. And he didn't know what to say. Huh. I said, fix the problem. Send me somewhere. So they're, they're People are under the, the impression that when you're in prison, you get to go to college, uh, you have top medical. No, you don't. Um, you have some good doctors, don't get me wrong, but you've got to get out of the, the prison system to get to these doctors, which means specialists, and you've got to fight for it. Um, as far as college, uh, at Taconic, your choices were Hudson Link or Bard. And I mean, you're, you're looking at some really good schools, but... It's not just given to you. You still have to get accepted the same way. Yeah. So it is by merit as well. Yeah. Uh, one of the big privileges was the people who were going to college would come to me with their papers, knowing I taught college for a while, and ask me to proofread it, edit, what have you. So it would give me back a couple of lost IQ points, which always helped. Mm -hmm. But it's a system that I never knew this is what really took place in it. I had no idea. You have been through a lot, and yeah. you have uh, learned a lot of lessons along the way. And I survived. And you survived. Yeah. And you will, uh, you'll move on and do great things and make your grandchild proud. That's my goal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. All yeah. right. Is yeah. there anything that you wanted to cover that we didn't talk about, other than go get her book at Amazon or on yes. the Kindle? 
uh, or Barnes and Noble, which again, bitter, not better or bitter or better better. by Melissa Sean, Melissa Seanfield. The, um, the book itself, it's short in content. It does have some of the legal paperwork with names redacted. Um, and it's a section of my journals that's written in there and it's fragmented just the way prison is. Uh, the woman who wrote the preface uh, is uh, Elizabeth Shepard, and she picked the direction for me because I was in 40 different directions, and you can't, you can't write all that. It, it'll look like the ence- old Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, with all its volumes. So she picked just that direction. And now that I'm out, I'd like to be more specific about some of the things that took place knowing yeah. no one can do any more retaliation. Yeah. And because you're very careful knowing that uh, on parole, parole's double jeopardy. They can haul you back in for any reason they want. And that wasn't happening to me. Yeah. So I was very careful on what I did. Yeah. No, yeah. I understand. All right. Well, pick up the book. I appreciate you thank giving you. us the time. Uh, thank you for having me. And I just want you to know that I I think, uh, you know, most people recognize you Though it's it's not good to take someone's life, you did it from, you know, a point of view of yeah. helping your own family. Yeah. When your family, I mean, none of us can could could realize, you know, what we would do if if our family was at risk. That's the bottom line. You don't know what you would do when you feel you've exhausted everything there is. Right. But what you don't realize is sometimes the answer is no answer at all. Right. And that was the bottom line. And. And then I will continue to say that, you know, what you did was wrong. Yes, it was. And you did your time. Yes. And you now can move on with your life and everyone can accept you with open arms because that's what they do. That's what we do. And that's what Jesus expects all good Christians to do. You did your part. You are forgiven. Yes. And I know that the North Country welcomes you with open arms. I know you don't live here currently. No. But I'm sure when people see you out and about, they will... uh, They'll give you a big hug. Thank you. And thanks so much for being on the Dinner at Johnny's podcast. And one more time, Amazon, bitter or better, Melissa Seanfield. Thank you so much. Thank you.